In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth, Ben Grant, joined as always by JB and your Toronto Argonauts, our 2022 Grey Cup champions. They knock out the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 24-23 in the most bananas of CFL Grey Cup games uh, on the list. There are some strange ones. You see them played all the time on, on TSN throwbacks to these weird and wild Grey Cups. This is definitely up there. But uh, yeah, what a game, JB. I can't wait to break this all down because there's so many strange things to talk about in this one. Well, I'm, I'm sure it was disappointing um, with your Winnipeg uh, <laughs> love uh, coming up a little bit short. But certainly for the Argo fans watching... Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, it was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> they did everything wrong. Um, everything that we felt they couldn't possibly do and win. Um, but they just would not give up. And uh, they got it done. We were saying to each other during the game, how how is the score what it is? Because And, and we mean that sort of in two different ways. Because we said coming into this game... The Argos couldn't afford to make a single mistake because that's what teams do and that's how Winnipeg wins. We talk about how, you know, Winnipeg, it's not that they're that dynamic in offense or that they do anything that exotic on defense. They just don't make any mistakes and you do make a mistake. So we're like, all right, Toronto plays mistake-free. They can win this game. They made every mistake they could possibly make in this. You had three dropped interceptions. You had sacks taken away, sacks missed. You had a kick return a touchdown you had uh, you know just about everything that could have gone wrong you lost your starting quarterback and yet there they were late in the game a touchdown away from taking the lead and we're we're talking to each other like this this could easily have been a Toronto blowout but it also could easily have been Toronto getting blown out and somehow they hung around and and then in came Chad Kelly in the most improbable uh, of ways and uh then we have back-to-back block field goals for for a great cup win just what what well, a what a finish i mean i think probably the most important thing that happened was that they scored first <laughs> that was your one thing coming in you're like they have to score first and and they you're right in first that, well, it kept the streak alive. Again, Winnipeg's only losses this year came when the other team scored first, and this happened today too. I don't know how much that factored into it all. They 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 kicked a field goal to go up three nothing. I don't but... know either. I'm just telling you, it had to happen, and when it did, um, I felt good. I thought, I thought they I thought they went punch for punch for Winnipeg uh, the whole game. Um, they didn't look intimidated. Uh, they didn't look overwhelmed. I think the first quarter was like very busy for the offense um but uh, i thought that they yeah i thought that they for you know for basically having no fans uh at a game um i thought they held up really really well i thought they they were right there with winnipeg and even that dagger kick return didn't uh didn't stop them you know i, I they just had the depth of their talent is what the difference was tonight the the number of playmakers they had all the way down their roster uh, is what won them the Grey Cup tonight. Absolutely, because you had 
stars that weren't necessarily making plays tonight. We've seen games where McLeod Bethel Thompson has done it all, like like last week, for example, where he just put the team on his back and, and charged them into the Grey Cup. And he didn't have a great game today. You saw guys on defense, like I, I know Enoch Mwamba played a very good game. He was named the the most outstanding Canadian in the Grey Cup and, and MVP of the Grey Cup. I, this wasn't one of his better statistical games, certainly. I think he made some really nice plays, but he also missed some stuff too. And yet you had all these other people that did show up. Instead of Curly Gittins Jr., who has been the go-to guy all season, he ends up with no catches today. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Cam Phillips, who we actually wanted to bench for, for Eric Rogers, he comes up with the biggest game of everybody with almost 100 yards receiving. And that's what you're talking about. Guys like Jared Brinkman, who has only played in one game all season. He's in there making huge run-stopping tackles and big plays. And, you know, when, when Oakman was getting picked up, Hendricks is coming through and making plays. It just seemed like anywhere you looked, whatever 12 were on the field for the Argos, any one of them could have made a play on any snap. Yeah, I mean, look, Jonathan Jones, huge player. Um, Chad Kelly coming off the bench, huge player. Um uh, Robbie Smith, you know, not not one of their top three defensive linemen. Huge game, uh, you know, up and down, but a lot of huge plays. Um, I just think up and down the, the, the roster, what we talked about all season, about how much talent they had, uh, really came through where they, they just weren't dependent on one guy being everything, where, like, you watch Winnipeg's offense, and, you know, essentially it seemed to just run through Schoen. Yeah, shown in Oliveira, and and that's yeah, sort of that, that was basically sort of it. it. No, I, I, you know, I just think it was it was an absolute. You know, we, we talk about team victories, but I mean, that was as much of a team victory as I've ever seen. Um, you know, where the, the guys came out of nowhere or out of the depth chart and just made huge plays and just wouldn't let. Winnipeg put the strangle on the game that they were so close to doing two or three times. Just in texting with people who were in the stands, I thought this was kind of interesting because I was asking about what they felt like the the crowd was composed of. And they said there were clearly more Winnipeg fans there than Argos fans, but it wasn't a dominant Winnipeg crowd. It was a very sort of CFL crowd. And you had all sorts of people there wearing, you know, Stampeders jerseys and hats. And, and of course, lots of Rough Rider fans that were there representing. And a lot of the stadium, although not very loudly, was was pro-Toronto and, and <laughs> cheering know. against Winnipeg. It was, it was pretty loud when Toronto was down in the red zone at the end of the game. It was, but it wasn't pretty loud in the no, way no, that you right. typically it, it see... The whole game it was loud was in excitement. Yeah, yeah it, was, it wasn't loud in disruption. It was loud in like people were just excited about that finish. It, it didn't sound like a let's not let True, the they, quarterback hear the call. We were lucky that way that I was really worried it was going to be such a Winnipeg crowd that they were going to have to go silent the whole game. And, right. and it, it, it was not that, thankfully. And yet a really active crowd. I thought I thought it was an excellent crowd. I thought uh, I thought they were into it the whole game. Sure, and why not? What a, I mean, the game yeah, was amazing. A, the game had everything. What a football there, game. There was, <laughs> I mean, not from a purist point of view, but from like a no, a, like a, a, a carnival circus <laughs> point of view. Game I still had, can't it had it had everything you could jam into a football game. I tweeted at some point late in the fourth quarter, "What is going on here?" and then. 
back-to-back field goals were blocked. Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, that game was drunk, 100. Uh, it was it was a strange one, um, but yeah, one one that you'll never forget. It was uh, it was special. It was weird. Uh, let's let's break it all down, JB. Let's let's head back to that first quarter. So. I actually thought the I thought the Argos came out a little bit stiff, which surprised me because they seemed loose all week and they had nothing to lose. Really, everyone expected Winnipeg to win. They were they were big favorites in this, and so yeah, they they should be loose. The pressure wasn't on them, I don't think. And Winnipeg also looked loose all week because this is just what they do. It's their third straight Grey Cup. But I thought Toronto came out kind of tight. Um, Bethel Thompson. Even on the first play, he was they, he got the guys out of the huddle really late. Had to rush them to the line just to barely get the ball off in time. Uh, missed missed a pass, and it just seemed like he wasn't on early. And it that seemed to really spread to the rest of the offense. They they had trouble getting into any rhythm early on. I felt it just didn't feel like anything at all, like last week where they were unstoppable up and down the field. Uh, I think yeah, the offense, but I thought the defense came out flying. I thought. Uh, the defense was physical. They were ready for the run. They were all over the pass. Um, I was really happy with how the defense came out. I agree. The offense looked a little, I don't want to say overwhelmed, um, but the, you know, I think they, they, they clearly were feeling like there's a nighttime game. This is the Grey Cup. Um, that kind of buzz in your ear um, feeling. Definitely the offense seemed to have that for the first quarter. And the defense after after last week, where the offense carried them through, yeah. the defense really stepped up this week. That that first quarter, look at some of the like some of the first quarter numbers. Winnipeg had four drives in the first quarter, four complete drives that they finished. Caleros was one for four for seven yards uh, through that, and Winnipeg was rushing for four point four a carry, which is fine. You'll you'll take that all day long in in the CFL. And so, yeah, wonderful, wonderful first quarter from. Uh, from the the Toronto defense, and they end the first quarter up three nothing. So it, that was what worked really well when the Toronto offense could do really very little. Uh, they they essentially hit one big play. Um, it, aside from that, the the defense did yeah, their part and just kept Winnipeg at bay. Exactly, I think that that was that was really the difference in the game. Is if Winnipeg comes out and you know they go up ten nothing, it's probably over. Um, you know, so I, I just think the defense, uh, was so, it was so important to give the offense a chance to, to get their stuff together and just stay punch for punch with the champs. Um, and, and they definitely did like, you know, Winnipeg, Winnipeg hit a couple of big plays, but they just were never able to move the ball the the way they did against British Columbia. Yeah, no, not at all. It, Toronto wasn't playing, like in terms of coverage, they did some different things up front. They ran some blitzes I've never seen them run before. But in terms of their coverage, they seem to be sticking to that, mostly to that middle of the field open coverage where it's either two or four. It's really hard to tell sometimes. And uh, they they got burned a couple of times. I know there was one early on where they got kind of lucky that the ball got caught in the air a little bit because Dalton Schoen had gotten yeah. in behind coverage on a post. Yeah, they were, they were that, looking to jump those digs. <laughs> yeah, it was a high-low. And you talked about digs leading yeah, into this, that, that well, Claire loves a, a those. A thousand percent that you're like, I am going to jump the first dig I see. 
And it was perfectly set up because they know they're watching their own film yeah. too. And there comes this dig, this fat dig across the field. And Mechie comes in to jump it. And it's it's a beautiful high-low concept that he bid on. Shown's in behind coverage. And, uh, it, you know, it wasn't a good ball. Uh, the coverage was, it's not like he was wide open, but he was open. And that could have been a, a backbreaker. Uh, and then also in the first quarter, another thing that, that did go wrong was... Uh, Philip Blake, who's been outstanding, uh, gave up a strip sack to to Jeffcoat, who came around the outside. He's he's tough for he's tough for a guy that has been playing left tackle his entire life. And I don't want to take this opportunity to like you know rag on on um, on Blake because he has been outstanding playing out of position the entire season. He's been amazing, but. Jeffco got the better of him on that play, and it's so tough. It's you can't put this on McLeod either. He doesn't know he's no Jeffco's there, so the ball gets knocked out of his hands, gets recovered by Winnipeg, and it was just going back to what we said before about just everything going wrong for Toronto. The same thing basically happens with Winnipeg. Caleros loses the ball. I think it was Hendricks that knocked it out, and somehow their lineman's just right there to fall on it. It just was the breaks weren't going Toronto's way this game and, until, I guess, the very end. Well, it reminded me of that old coach's line, but if you want to know who got beat, just check out who jumped on top of the of the fumble. <laughs> yeah, I know. We talked about that before. Whoever recovered the fumble probably made a mistake. And, and you can fast forward all the way to the end of the game. You're wondering for just a brief second who blocked that field goal to win the game for the Toronto Argonauts, isn't it a guy that had just come off making some big mistakes? We'll get to that uh, later on in, in the podcast. So Yeah, that, I mean, that, that Jeffcoat sack was, I mean, that's just an elite move. I mean, sometimes, you know, guys get paid to play both, you know, play both uh, both ways. Uh, that was just an elite move. I You know, it's tough. To, it was tough and uh, <laughs> poorly, poorly timed, but... Uh, yeah, that was uh, you know I I thought I thought they did a pretty good job though against the line give or take what what they they had a better like a Winnipeg jumped on them a couple of times with those zero blitzes and caught them by surprise and then they were able to adjust to that in the second half. Yeah, uh, and the the second quarter I want to talk about a little bit because Toronto got off to. A great start running the football. At the end of the first quarter, they were averaging 6.7 per carry, which is what they've been doing since the addition of, of Ryan Hunter. We've talked about this ad nauseum over the last couple of months. This is what this is what the Toronto Argonauts have been for the last couple of months of the season, a 6.7 yards per carry rushing team. And that's what they came out with in the first quarter, that very same thing. And yet they go into the second quarter, they don't, they don't run the ball once other than QB sneaks. They do not give a single carry to either AJ Olette or Andrew Harris. It's just drop back after drop back after drop back for McLeod Bethel Thompson. Now, I want to criticize this and I also want to defend it a little bit until we know a bit more information. First of all, the criticism is you just have to you have to keep running the football. You have to give those guys carries. They were hot. And no matter what's happening, you've got to at least test it. Even if you see adjustments being made, and Winnipeg did adjust, and I'll get to the defense of that in a minute. But those guys were running so well. They had such creative packages with both of those guys out there on the field. You've got to get the ball into their hands. And and for the entire second quarter, they didn't. Now, 
the defense of that is that Winnipeg did change their defensive alignment in the second quarter. There was way more pressure, way more run blitzing. And Toronto did have looks in the past. And I'm interested in my rewatch to go back and see how many of these plays were RPOs, how many were checks at the line where it was likely a run call that was checked into a pass. And I'm sure there were a few of those. But I just don't think after what a successful quarter it was running the football in a, in a tight game, I don't think you can go away from it just like that and not not hand off a single ball to either of your star running backs. No, I didn't understand that either. And then they went back to it in the second half, which full credit, um, they kind of self-scouted. Uh, yeah, I didn't know why they didn't use a little more play action in the second quarter. I, I don't know what they saw or if they felt like we have to get McLeod going we need to score touchdowns to win this game. We're not going to win this game 13-10. Uh, and there was just a feeling that they had to they had to get the ball in the air and they had to get some vibes going there because they needed touchdowns. Uh, you know, I assume that's, that was what they were feeling. Yeah, and I think probably from upstairs, they're looking at what Winnipeg's sending out there and they're like, look, against the, we, we've got a huge advantage passing the football here given what the way they're playing us, then we have to keep passing the football. I think that's just what it is. I believe in that. Uh, as an offensive quarter who a coordinator who once didn't call a single running play for an entire game because that's what the defense was dictating I, I'm fine with that and they spent the whole second quarter doing that it didn't work but if that's what you see I'm okay with you going that way it's just it 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 feels very wrong and so I want to go back and, and really look at that carefully uh, before I criticize it too harshly because it may just be that that they had huge advantages they weren't able to take uh, um, or to, to capitalize on. The second quarter also saw some problems from from Boris Beattie. He missed from 36, which you just can't do. You can't miss from 36 yards out. He missed pretty badly from 52. That one, again, I'll, I'll, I'll give you any miss from, from over 50, but that's well within his range. He had the wind at his back there. To see him miss both of those field goals was concerning. Uh, little did we know there would be more. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he didn't have a good game. You know, he, uh, he had only an average season. Um, so it, it wasn't out of, unfortunately, really wasn't out of character for the season. Uh, he just wasn't as dialed in this year as he was last year. I, I still think, you know, he is a valuable kicker and God knows you can go looking for kickers forever. So if you have one, you just got to ride with them through the ups and downs. Um, Cause he is good, but yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of topped off the season where he was, you know, statistically the worst kicker in the league. So I guess it's not hard to be surprised that he wasn't very good in the final. But it's maddening because last year he was the best kicker in the league. You know, he, he had 16 straight it field goals. Turns he... out having the worst kicker in the league is not very important. <laughs> Yeah, well, it is though. Like this, well, this could have been. They just won the Grey Cup oh. with him, and he missed a bunch of kicks. So I know, and well, funny enough, the he was going up against the second worst kicker yeah. in the league statistically. So, uh, yeah, maybe that's true. Like the the two the two worst kickers statistically in the league were up against each other in the Grey Cup. So yeah, Hamilton had a really good kicker. How'd that work out? Well, I don't know if I'd say that about Hamilton, but uh, let's 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 keep moving. A couple of plays I wanted to focus on just in the second quarter before we move on to the second half. Um, one, because it sort of foreshadowed things. We've seen McLeod Bethel-Thompson all season long, actually his entire career. He will hang in the pocket until the last possible second. He will take a huge hit if it means waiting a split second more 
to get his guy that much more open. And in the second quarter, he he took a heck of a shot on a 37-yard pass to Phillips, and he just hung in there. He saw it coming. It was an inside twist, and he got hit by, I don't know which Winnipeg D tackle it was, uh, but he just, you know, like they all do, look like a massive individual. And he just plowed Bethel Thompson into the ground, but it connected for that 37-yarder. And that was, unfortunately, the drive that ended with the the missed uh, the missed field goal. However, in a game that was won by a single point, let's not discount Boris Beattie's missed field goals. At least with Boris Beattie, they count as rouges because he's got such a cannon. When he misses, you still get the single. And uh, in, a, in a game decided by one, you'll take every single point there is. The other one that I think is a, an interesting play from the first half, just because I, I think it shows you... It shows you just real savvy veteran play. Winnipeg had uh, a touchdown uh, in the second quarter to go ahead 7-4 at that point. And there was a a really nice play I saw Caleros make, which is what makes him such an elite passer. Uh, He had Shaq Richardson blitzing off the edge. It was a beautifully timed halfback blitz. Caleros stayed very calm in the pocket. He watched his play action all the way through, staring down Shaq the whole time. He saw him coming. He was aware of the time left. And knowing that this is probably going to get tipped, he actually does a jump pass to Dembski, um, who gets all the way down to the one, I believe, and that led to the Pru Cup touchdown. But as a play like that, you know, you see Bethel Thompson make savvy plays like this. You see Caleros do this all season long. The difference in having a veteran like one of those guys uh, versus having a, a rookie or having an inexperienced quarterback like we've seen all season long from other teams around the CFL, it stood out uh, in, in plays like that. Bethel Thompson's taking the big hit to get his guy open and in, in Zach Caleros with the jump pass to, to, to Dembski. So that, that was, yeah, just highlights from two offenses that struggled a little bit in the first half, but they did get going. And by halftime, it's, it's 10-7, I think it was at, at halftime. Uh, and it, it was a game you felt pretty good at halftime trailing by three, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought that we were the equal. I didn't. I didn't think Winnipeg had had shown anything other than you know a couple of a couple of deep shots that that caught the team by surprise. They, they didn't seem to be doing anything interesting offensively. Um, you know, defensively, there were some issues. They you know they were definitely um, able to get some pass rush going, but I didn't think defensively that they were stymieing. I mean, most drives were not to and out. You know, they were really just kind of overthrows or drops or kind of self-inflicted wounds more than Winnipeg, um, you know, denying any any ball movement. So I felt good. I felt like clean up a couple things and, you know, just make sure Winnipeg doesn't score to start the second and uh, we're ready to roll. The Argos had six sacks, but only four counted. And almost all of them came in the second half where Coach Mace started dialing up some really interesting stuff. And that that first couple series to start the third quarter, they had a really interesting, exotic looking blitz. It looked almost exactly like a zero. I've seen Toronto run a lot this season, and I'm sure that's what Caleros thought it was. But what happened instead, it was so Enoch comes in late. One of the halfbacks was coming in late as well. Jonathan Jones is already sitting uh, in the B gap. And Jones actually backs out right on the snap of the ball. And what looked like zero is actually zone. And 
Caleros was confused for just enough time for that to get home and ends up with a, a huge sack on that play and uh, really set the tone for that second half where he didn't know where anyone was coming from. They ran a double halfback blitz on the next series, uh, which I, I don't think I've seen them run all season either. It's just such a strange look to have two guys coming in from the outside like that. Um, I loved Coach Mace's game plan in the second yeah, half. They, I, I, it, it was good in the first half. They were strong, but it was exciting in no, the second. No, it was really good. They clearly sat on stuff, uh, which is great when you can when you have that ability to do that, where you can keep them close and not not show all your cards. Um, yeah, it was clear in the second half that they had Winnipeg cold. You know, Claris was not himself. Uh, I don't know how his leg was working or what what sort of medical miracle allowed him to run around without a limp. Um, but he was not quite himself. And um, you could you could feel that from the team because he just... He, occasionally he rolled outside, but it just wasn't a constant fear that he was going to get outside the pocket. And, and uh, I thought Toronto absolutely controlled the second half defensively. There was a, a step difference that I saw in him. So while there wasn't necessarily a limp there, and this is sometimes what happens if you've, you know, whether your ankle's taped up or frozen or whatever it is, you even if you're not limping, you don't necessarily have that explosion that you normally have from it. And that was what was happening here. So he'd roll out of the pocket and normally, because he's, he's a really good athlete, uh, normally he'd be able to have an extra step and actually start coming forward, delivering the football. And instead, uh, you had you know guys like uh, Achampong chasing him to the outside, and Achampong had the angle, and that wasn't going to let him step into it. And so he was throwing the ball, still drifting to his right, instead of uh, attacking the line of scrimmage, which uh, we have seen him do so often this season. And so that did make a, a pretty big difference, and, and that's where the ankle did come into play. But we've also seen... Claros, you know, he doesn't always put up 300-yard passing games. He he sometimes has performances like this. He ended up 14 of 23, 183 with an interception. That's that's a bad stat line by his standards, certainly. By he was the standards. Yeah, but he was the league MVP, right? Like he was the most outstanding player. Uh, no, he player. was your MVP. You, you probably have a signed poster <laughs> on the wall from him. He's Well, I actually thought Nathan Rourke was the most outstanding player of the year. But uh, but yeah, I thought Claros was, was number two. I thought I thought he was the guy. If it's not Rourke, it's him. And yeah, he did not look like it today. But it's not all on the ankle. It's also Toronto's defense just oh, playing definitely. No, lights out football. Yeah, they, they you know they were getting good getting good push at the line. Um, the defensive back, you know, I, I you know I, I, it was hard to say. Like honestly, watching the Winnipeg film, <laughs> they just weren't that impressive. And I know but they, they played but they really won smart. every game. <laughs> I know, and I know they played really smart football. And but when you watch them, you're just like, "There's nobody on this team as good as Geno Lewis. There's nobody on this team as good as William Stanback." Um, they had a you know a good offensive line, but and a good defensive line. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. That's it's kind of how it looked. I just I just didn't I I just didn't feel and I think that's why the Argos felt pretty loose cuz I think you watch it on film and you're like okay, let's just play football. I don't I don't think we we need to be hyper hyper worried about any of these guys. 
a couple more things from that third quarter. So I was really happy to see them get back to the two running backs. That first drive, it's like, I, I'm sure everybody in the Argos dressing room at, at halftime was aware of the fact that Harris and Olette had not touched the ball in the second quarter because they come right back out. It's a short drive for a touchdown because, it's a, first of all, it's a nice return from Leak. We'll talk about Javon Leak a little bit later. He was he was awesome today. Yeah, he was but, awesome. They come out with a Harris run, then there's a pass to Javaris Daniels, and then a pass to Harris off a play fake to Olette, and then an Olette run for a four-yard touchdown. And that was just, it was a drive almost entirely based on those two running backs, and it went for a touchdown. Argos now take the lead. You know, here we are midway through the third quarter. Argos are up uh, 14 to 10 at that point. Uh, and then the wheels fell off for a little while. Uh, things things really went south. The the Bombers would end up scoring the next 13 points. And it just seemed like everything was back to going wrong like it was in the first quarter. You have Caleros who somehow escapes a sack from two different guys who got a, a piece I know, of it. On that touchdown drive, they just were oh. at least three times where they just had him cold and, you know, just, I mean, that, I mean that's, and that, you know, is usually what he does the whole game to you. Right. Right. That one, that one in particular, they, it was a perfect blitz and he got stuck with it. And somehow uh, he ended up evading two different Argos on the play, completes a pass to Sean, of course. Uh, and then, and then another one that should have been a sack or was a sack, but Robbie Smith was ruled offside in what was a pretty questionable call on replay. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, I mean, just I mean, there are two things, obviously, that will make me mad about it. One, he just moved his foot, okay? So, like, he, he wasn't... Let's not let's not get overly precious about, oh, there was a millimeter offside, okay? Like, he moved his foot, and then he got back. He was not offside. And on the same play, the Winnipeg receivers were, like, three and a half feet offside. And so, like, you're just going to let those receivers run by you, and as they run past you, you're going to notice that the defensive lineman's foot is in the neutral zone. Well, the um, flag came from the other side, uh, not the guy who was obstructed by all the Winnipeg receivers because <laughs> well, he couldn't see. Even that, and that even for a discussion for another day. But I mean, even that's getting a bit ridiculous. Uh, the leeway, yeah, no, the leeway that they're giving receivers. They do, and that wasn't. There was no bias here. This is just something that it, this is the CFL, and it's a rule I hate. Also, they will let receivers be a yard or two offside, <laughs> seemingly on every play. Ridic- I mean, I get, but I mean, if you if you called it tight, they would play it tight. It's really hard to call because yeah, there are some where it looks like they're way offside, and then you go back and watch the replay, and you're like, oh, yeah, actually, I guess they weren't. Yeah, it, so it is tough, but that does bother me as well. Uh, but anyway, it, you know, I, I thought that was I thought that was a pretty ticky tack call to make. And the officiating I thought overall was pretty good. Early on, they they were determined not to throw a lot of flags in the first quarter, and there were a few that I thought could have been called. There was there was some early contact on a pass to Devaris Daniels. Yeah. There was there was also a block in the back on one of Leak's returns that I was sure was going to get called, but didn't. There was a lot of stuff that. Could have been called, didn't get called, uh, and then they did start throwing flags a little bit in the second half. Um, but uh, I know that uh, was not... challenge bait. How how much I would have loved to have asked coach how much he wanted to challenge <laughs> that first hit of the game. Like I know because first... it was the second offensive play. <laughs> I know, and he was a thousand percent a beat early. Yeah, and they was. were a thousand percent not going to overturn it. 
Right, because you can't. And, right. and good but for Coach Dinwiddie as much as I feel he like made they, a mistake. I feel like they must have unplugged his headphones. There's, there's <laughs> no chance he wasn't going to call. I don't. Yeah, I, I'd love to know why he didn't. Because he he knows he like he, he <laughs> knows, but he also doesn't know because he made a mistake late in the game. Uh, yeah, play he challenged, which like, we'll get to. I feel like he was. <clears throat> Anyways, I'd I'd love to hear him walk us through an oral history of that play. Yeah, well, the guy was clearly early, but you're right. He would not have been overturned. Those don't get overturned. Neither does the one that he did challenge late in the game on the the pass interference that could have been to Phillips. There's no chance that gets that gets overturned. And I I thought that was a, a terrible, terrible, even at that stage of the game. I get it's a big point in the game. You cannot challenge that. There's no way on earth that is getting overturned, and you need those timeouts. Uh, and then they burn their second timeout on on a fake snap that nobody believed was going to be a, a, a play. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. We're still stuck in the third quarter with everything going wrong. So on top of the, the Robbie Smith phantom offside, there were more dropped interceptions. The third one at that point, I believe the third one was on Enoch Mwamba. So it started with it started with uh, Amos dropping one that that hit him in the groin that looked like on a on a deep ball just went through his arms, and then Peters uh, it was a tough one it got deflected it went right to Peters' hands he never drops those and he did and then one to Mwamba he had a beautiful play he was he was fanning out reading Calaris's eyes which sort of foreshadowed a, a big interception later. Um, and he just didn't, yeah, Claris didn't see him. He was somewhere that he didn't expect Moamba to be. He was way deeper than he thought Moamba would be. And it just hit him in the hands. He couldn't pick it off. And uh, and then, yeah, uh, Prukop ends up going in for his second TD of the game. It's 17-14 bombers going into the fourth quarter. And and now you're saying, okay, we're, we're in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, if you're the Argos, you're, you're, you're in the fourth quarter. You're down by three. You feel pretty good. And that fourth quarter opens with a punt. JB, walk us through what was going through your head as Haggerty booted that ball 51 yards. I didn't understand why they were punting. So it was the third and two at their own 51. I, uh, this geez, is I don't. I, I just like I know you just got stuffed to play before, but I don't know. Like I, that's just a general flaw for me. If you're the middle of the field, that's a go. I know you guys, but you get stuffed on a ridiculous handing it back to Harris. I mean, to me, that's that's a go. But you know, and I mean, no sooner had I gotten out the text, "Why are we punting?" <laughs> and uh, and I got quite an answer in in response from the, the Blue Bombers. Yeah, analytics on that will almost always come back to you and say you got to go. Um, that's that's just how. It, yeah, I, no, I don't know about if you kick it too I, far, if you kick it out of bounds. I mean, the margin for error against a good kick, a good returner, is so small. Like you, you know, like if you if you try and directional it, you get out of bounds, you get a penalty. Uh, if you don't kick it right directionally, you're putting it in the hands of a, an elite returner. You know who's probably going to get ten or fifteen yards no matter what. So what are we talking here? You know, you're talking about thirty yards on the field. I don't know. I I felt that was a go, but you know that was that was before. Uh, you know what I thought? I didn't think they could give up a a kick return touchdown or a punt return touchdown and win the game. But uh, here we are. I didn't think they could make more than one mistake and they made about 20 and still won the game. So yeah, yeah that, that punt return. So what happened on that? It was actually a pretty good punt, I thought, by Haggerty. They, were, they were trying to keep it away from Grant. Almost too good. They, 
Well, they got an unlucky bounce in that it bounced directly to him. Usually when it's bouncing around like that off a punt, you don't usually get a, a bounce that goes straight up into the returner's hands, which it did. And then Robbie Smith got kind of pushed out of his lane a little bit. And then it was sort of a comedy of errors where uh, I think it was Haggerty ended up getting, because he, he pursues, right? He's not like most punters. He's downfield trying to make plays, trying to make tackles, because he's he's a big physical guy. He ends up taking out Shaq Richardson, uh, Robbie Smith gets pushed out of his lane. Somebody else, oh, it was Priester, uh, who I thought actually had an angle, but he slowed down thinking uh, he was going to get in someone else's way who was going to make the tackle, but that didn't happen. And then Priester had to turn it on again and couldn't get back into the play. So there was all sorts of things going wrong in that. And ultimately, Grant makes a a long, actually the longest punt return in Grey Cup history, a 102-yard punt return touchdown. And there was nothing more deflating than that. The Argos are now down nine points at that stage, uh, down nine points, having given up a, a the Grey Cup record-setting punt return. Uh, and they didn't go away. And that's that's the amazing thing about it. They get right back on the horse. That, that next drive, Bethel Thompson uh, leads them to a field goal, but this is where things got weird. So on that very next drive, and I want to just check here. I just want to make sure I'm looking at the chronology to see where this is. Yeah, so it was actually the very first play of that drive. So 14-16 left in the first quarter. This is the first offensive play after that punt return touchdown. Bethel Thompson throws a weird looking ball to Brandon Banks up the sideline. Banks had his guy beat to the inside. Bethel Thompson seemed to throw it outside. And he gets hit on that play, or rather his thumb gets hit on Jeff Coates' arm on that play. That was where Bethel Thompson's thumb got hurt. You could see it as he releases the ball. His thumb goes really hard because it's the velocity of a deep ball into Jeff Coates' arm. And he looks at his hand after that play. Uh, there's a few things that were wrong in that. First of all, Jeff Coates was being blocked by Ambles. So I don't like that from the get-go. Uh, and, and it was just, of all the... Of all the hits we've seen McLeod Bethel Thompson take over the last couple of seasons, he has been he's been pile drived into the ground, he's been thrown around, he's been hit by three guys at once, and he always gets back up. The the play that doesn't, he hits his thumb on a guy's yeah, arm. I mean if if anybody has ever like sprained their big toe or sprained their thumb, you just don't realize um a, how valuable either one of those appendages are, and B, just how you can't just grin and bear it. You like, it's just not something you can do. Like you sprain your thumb, um, you know, your that hand is just useless to you. And it may have actually gotten worse as we went because that wasn't he didn't come out. No. So that it happened on that ball. Then the very next pass he completes a deep ball to Phillips which was super high because he's obviously got no ability to keep that ball in his hand with his thumb there it came out it came out all wobbly Phillips jumped three feet in the air to get it and there's also the roughing the passer hit on that and again he's landing now on the same side his same right side and his hand is again getting hit into the ground uh, as he's taken to the to the turf by a, a 320 pound man um, and then his next pass, he's only got one more pass the rest of the game. He looked to his left to hit Banks, and the ball just flew. It it flew out of his hand uh, almost uh, like in rotation instead of a spiral. And that was when you knew something was up. Now, I didn't actually know that at the time. 
but you know banks was furious because it was nowhere close to where he was but looking back you're like well that of course it yeah, makes sense because i remember seeing that pass thinking man that was such a bad ball not you realizing you just can't do anything with with the thumb it's you know you no. just you just like when it comes to throwing a football like the thumb is you know is really the most important aspect of it here and if you're if you're have torn ligaments or just have a really bad sprain um there's just nothing you can do you just you can't physically move you can't move your thumb into a position you just your body won't let you regardless of your pain threshold it's just it just physically can't get there with the swelling so he went to the sideline and he was looking at his thumb right there but again i i didn't really piece it together as being game ending i just thought you know maybe he hurt his hand on something but it didn't he, he didn't seem to be getting treated with urgency on the sideline but what was happening during that time is they were taping him up, trying to see if they could somehow configure a contraption on his hand to allow him to throw. Um, and at first they they tried uh, just taping it still and he was unable to throw. And then they tried to put a glove over top of it so the tack of the glove could could grip the ball instead of his yeah, hand because he obviously didn't have the thumb strength. Know, like, I mean, you know, it just you can't it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> It'd be like trying to throw the football with your other hand. <laughs> Yeah, it was yeah, essentially totally. that. Yeah, like how's that going to? That's well, that's what it looked like. So yeah, and not only was the ball not coming out normally when you watched him throw it, it it was it was causing a tremendous amount of pain. Yeah, and so he was clearly done at that point. And so there you are now down. So they they do hit a field goal at the end of that drive from thirty six. Uh, <laughs> Boris Beatty had three field goal attempts from thirty six yards out, which is just an unusual anomaly today. Uh, he was one for three on those 36 yarders, I believe. And uh, so they close it down to six. And then this is where the Argos start catching their interceptions. Shaq Richardson comes down with what was the hardest interception so far. The ones they dropped, the three they dropped before this were easy. Shaq goes up in traffic and comes down with an amazing interception. And Chad Kelly runs out on the field. And I'm like, what? That's Chad Kelly in the huddle. Why is Chad Kelly in the huddle? And my immediate thought was, They've pulled Bethel Thompson because I know he wasn't playing a great game, but it, to me it didn't make sense. I'm like this. This we've seen, we've seen them stick with Bethel Thompson when things are going like absolutely sideways, and Dinwiddie still sticks with him. This seems so odd to put Chad Kelly in, and so I tweeted out at that point that something must be wrong with McLeod Bethel Thompson because there was no other explanation for Chad Kelly being in the game. No, because I mean McLeod had not turned the ball over. I mean there was the you know, the strip sack, but that wasn't his fault. Um, and although uh, I don't know what, I mean, I, again, Winnipeg, I thought was got a little too cute um, having Prukop throw a deep pass. Yeah, they, they did get, they put him in a lot more than I expected you know, to see know him. Because they know on the film, it's always a, mo, it's always um, a running play or uh, like a, what looks to be like a, you know, like a read play where he's holding on to it and maybe he keeps and maybe he gives and they thought they could catch, but they, they, they got their one catch Toronto sleeping early and they didn't cash it in. Um, and full credit to the Toronto defense. Uh, they did not overreact to Prukop going in and, you know, yell, run, run, run. Um, they, they stayed deep and were all over that deep pass. Yeah, I thought they played a really disciplined brand of football. Uh, and it was funny because I, I know John Hodge had, had done an interview earlier this week. John Hodge from 3 Nation um, was talking to Chris Edwards and wrote an article about how the Argos really hadn't 
done any film at all on Drew Brown, who's widely regarded as the second uh, quarterback for for Winnipeg, um, and uh, and instead had been focusing in on Prukop and on uh, and Caleras. They obviously thought Caleras was going to play, and they thought they'd see Prukop in short distances. So they were aware of him. They, so while they may not have, and I'm sure at some point they did go over their their Drew Brown um, film uh, as the uh, yeah I, as look, the week went on. As an objective observer, I think that's a coaching mistake. I think they should have got they should have ruled Prukop out, or sorry, ruled Claris out. Um, you know, I've been watching football a long time, coach football a long time. I've never heard of the week before a championship of player not practicing. I don't care who they are or how long they've been playing or if they know the playbook. I mean, it's just, it's just not heard of to be like, he doesn't need to practice. I'm like, well, that's going to revolutionize football. Um, you know, I, I think they made a mistake. I think they, 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 the hard decision would have been to say, I, we're going to go with Drew as their starter and Calaros as the backup. Because he clearly, wasn't, no he clearly wasn't ready. Like, he he wasn't ready. He didn't, like, tonight's performance was not a surprise. Like, he didn't practice all week. There's no way Winnipeg of, of all teams was going to do that uh, with their history okay. where they end up losing their quarterback the week before the Grey Cup years ago and Ryan Dinwiddie comes in never having played in a CFL game. Well, that's what I mean. But that was not the situation. You know, I'm just saying... That's not right. That's what they should have done. No, Claris no, Claris was, was not good. He was not good the whole game. He cost them the Grey Cup. He did not cost them he the did. Grey Look Cup. That's not, that's not what happened. 183 yards and one interception. That is garbage. Look at McLeod Bethel Thompson's stats. They're basically yeah, the same no, thing. No, they're not. He had two they, or three, they, no interceptions. I would take that. Yeah, with, with 53% I would take that, passing. I would take that 100 times out of 100 over Pruka, over Claros. I, I I can't I can't even there's there's no way you don't start and dress and start huh? Zach Calaris like if he can if he can move at all well what he I could, would have done he was, he's able to I scramble would have said you we're starting Calaris all week and then on Saturday said no we're not late scratch yep that would have been interesting I um, thought for sure and I thought w- they might I, that's what I would have done I'm like oh yeah by the way he's gonna start and you, you have no but film you on can, him. it's a great cup you cannot you cannot. Huh? bench your starting quarterback the most outstanding player of the year uh, i know for the you Grey have Cup. this poster but i'm just telling you scared money <laughs> don't make money yeah that's that's you've had some you've had some takes that is a take it is all right so getting on, back to on. that that fourth quarter before things just went um completely upside down uh so chad kelly comes in he ends up leading the Argos on a touchdown drive not on his first first drive he actually looked okay completed a couple passes but uh, then assisted by another Javon Leak punt return which was again outstanding <laughs> uh, he leads him on a touchdown drive he converts a second down in 15 with a huge run that I loved he was had great pocket presence there was nothing downfield he shook a couple guys and took off for a first down took a big hit popped right back up Ends up handing the ball to Olette from the five-yard line. Olette uh, runs in for a second touchdown of the game. And now suddenly, there you are in the fourth quarter. The Argos are leading 24-23. And I just couldn't believe it. I I still didn't feel 
at this point that the game was done. You know, there was still enough time left in the CFL for all sorts of things to happen. But to take the lead at that late stage with the backup quarterback, it's got to feel at that point like just things are starting to go right with everything that went wrong in the whole game. For you to send your backup quarterback out there and him lead the team to a touchdown. You talk about the, the deflation of that that Winnipeg punt return, return touchdown, that record-setting punt return touchdown. How deflated are you as Winnipeg to suddenly be behind, knowing all of the things that have gone wrong for the Argos? That's That's got to be huge. Well, it, it we, we talked a couple of times, you know, it happened last year against Hamilton and a couple of games this year where, you know, this guy comes off the bench. You're like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> and like, we haven't prepared for this guy. And all of a sudden, he's running around. He's making these passes. He's, you know, he's running read option. He's running down the field. And it, it just is very discouraging from a defensive point of view where you have a game plan. It's working. You know who's going to be in there. You've watched them on film. And then suddenly you have this person who you haven't watched at all. Like, I guarantee you nobody watched the film of the Montreal-Chad Kelly game. Right. Um, and, it's, you know, it is disorientating you know you, you see it. it it's very common in certainly in the nfl for a quarterback to come off the bench and look great for a quarter now they mm-hmm. don't necessarily look great the next game once teams get film on them but for that one quarter you know they're just that extra second where the defense is like what is this guy doing that's all you need to get those passes going so I, it was nice for us finally to be on the other side of that equation of, of who the hell is this guy and what what is he doing I promise you the only Chad Kelly film they will have watched all week is short yardage package. Yeah. They would have gone over all the third and one plays and the possibilities out of them, but they did not spend a second of time, I promise you, watching Chad Kelly film out of shotgun on first and 10, second and 10. No, and he was, he was, you know, he had obviously has a different energy and he was looking to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, he almost gave up that pick, but he didn't. But, it, you know, it was it was bang, bang. He was immediately looking to get rid of that ball. He was not going to go through his reads like McLeod. So it was just a totally different style. And he can run. Um, it was just a totally different style of quarterback from McLeod. You, you could see why the defense just was not totally ready. And look, full credit to the receivers. Um, they, they caught some rocket balls. Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> I mean, a ball was coming on some of those quick yeah. passes. And, like, full credit, those guys, um, you know, helped them out. Yeah, Kelly ends up going four of six for 43 yards. But it was a big 43 yards. And I think the bigger number is that 20-yard run he had on second and 15. That was that was massive. That was game-changing to be able to convert a second 15 and not not go for a field goal again there, I think, was was massive. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was um, all that the Argos could have hoped for more. Your backup quarterback comes into the Grey Cup. You're just hoping, you know, the the roof doesn't fall in, right? And to have him actually lead a touchdown drive there was spectacular. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, look, look. anyways, it, it, it's not an uncommon phenomenon, so I was glad to be on that side of it. So there's, what, a little under four minutes left at that point? I think 320 left in the game at that point. Uh, Winnipeg comes in and immediately fires another interception, this time to Enoch Mwamba. And this was just such a beautiful defensive play. I I went back and watched this one. Mwamba is in the very middle of the field. He's backing out, backing out at high speed. He knows this is not going to be a run. He flies out of there and he's just reading Claris's eyes. And he goes into a full sprint before 
Caleros even gets into his windup and he's got to travel about 20 yards across the field. And Caleros didn't, wasn't even thinking about the middle linebacker being there because no middle linebacker is going to be there. He's throwing it out towards the sideline deep downfield. And Mwamba, just because of how he studies film and because of how he knows tendencies, he's been in the league a long time. He knew right away, as soon as Caleros looked back over to his right, he's like, the ball is going there. Goes into a full sprint. Claros winds up, throws, Moamba steps in front and picks it off, brings it back nine yards. And at this point, Toronto's got to be thinking like this game's this game's almost over now because you're up by a point. You're already in field goal range. You're you're at where were they at the the Winnipeg 40, I think, at that yeah, point, at the Winnipeg 41. And uh, they end up running a, a couple plays, a, a field goal attempt now from uh a field goal attempt uh, from what would have been a with another was that another thirty? No, it wasn't another thirty. So it was a forty-two yard field goal, yep. and it gets blocked. JB, you are the special teams guy. It looks slow to me. The entire operation of that field goal looks slow to me. If a guy comes around the outside and blocks it, that's on the operation. That's not on yeah. the. That's not on the blocking. No, there's nothing the blocker could do. The blocker took the inside guy. Um, right. I mean, now look, it was a hell of a play in terms of the speed of it and teams don't necessarily give you their top speed block every time. And I think you're right. I think the mechanism, you know, it's, it was an important, it was, you know, a game clinching kick and BD hadn't been dialed in. And so even, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the difference, right? It takes you 2.3 seconds to kick it. It gets blocked. You know, it takes 1.8. It doesn't. Um, I, I do think he was probably um, a step slow on it. But I also, I think it was a, a fantastic play by the Hamilton player. I mean, really, he just flew. Um, Winnipeg, you know. you're, you're used to or, Hamilton sort of losing with, yeah. in the Grey Cup. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, it was a fantastic play by, by the Winnipeg um, kid. Uh, so I'd, I'm not going to say, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe a little slow, but it didn't strike me. As slow enough to be blocked. I'm, I'll give credit to the Winnipeg special teams on that. So the Toronto defense is back on the field and they need a play because now a field goal for Winnipeg wins it. it that should have been a four point lead for Toronto with two minutes to go. Instead, it's a one point lead, a very precarious one point lead with exactly two minutes to play. And again, it seemed like just things weren't going to go right for the Argos. They The defense comes flying out there again they allow a short completion to Oliveira, and then on second and six robbie smith gets in there with a huge sack and then it's now third and 13 and again robbie smith gets in there with what appeared to be a game ending sack essentially but he got his hand up on the face mask and it's so hard it is such a hard thing for defensive linemen not to just somehow, there's so many moving parts. Everything's happening 100 well, miles an hour. Quarterback ducks down and right, suddenly. Exactly. You... There should be a rule where, you know, if your head is below my waist, it, sh- it should just be a different rule. It's like, well, that's what, you're bringing your head to where my hands are. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know how to officiate that, though. I know. I get it. You get, But it's just, it's so hard because he's basically on the ground. And so he's reaching for him. Um, I get it. You just you just got to get your hands out of there, Robbie Smith. 
And we saw it earlier this year with a with a hit to the head on Nick Arbuckle uh, playing against Ottawa. That it was the same thing. Arbuckle like turtled down, and it was right into right into oh, God, the, the, the player that sacked him. So it, we've seen that yeah, before. I, but yeah, this wasn't a terrible call. That, I mean, that that's a bad play by Robbie Smith. Yeah, and you you have to call that. You got to throw that flag. That yeah. was the correct flag to throw. But um, it, I just felt so crushed for him because that was the end of the game. And here I'm thinking like Robbie Smith is never going to forget this moment. I like he just he just lost. The, he went from winning the Grey Cup with a sack to losing the Grey Cup with a penalty, and I felt so crushed for Robbie Smith. He's he's just he, yeah, such a such a good guy, a guy that does everything right, a guy that works hard harder than 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 you can. And for him to have potentially cost the Argos the Grey Cup was crushing. And then Winnipeg drives the ball down the field, and there's a Toronto bust for the first time since the first quarter. There's a bust, and it ends up leading to a 24-yard reception from Ellingson to put the Blue Bombers in field goal range. And then we have a couple huge plays. One, to be able to stop uh, Oliveira's run on first down. And then a huge second and five play. Edwards tips a pass, uh, which was on its way to a wide-open Winnipeg receiver. And, And that would have been a first down. And that would have brought the clock all the way down to the end for a much closer field goal. But instead... Uh, it's going to be a 47-yard field goal attempt for the win, and it gets blocked. Uh, and game over, Chad Kelly kneels down three times. There's a few things. Let's talk about a few things with this. First of all, the, the clock was key because 45 seconds on the clock when, when the Argos took over, that's the exact amount of time you know you can kneel down uh, between the, the time that it takes from you to get the snap and, and take a knee. If there's like three more seconds on the clock, you've actually got to run full plays. It gets a little bit dicey. You can't just take a knee. Uh, Argos still probably win it there, but it you know that was the perfect amount of time left. Have you ever in your life seen back-to-back blocked field goals in any game, let alone a game of this magnitude. No, not, not that I can think of. Um, and just so great that Robbie Smith makes the block, um, you know, right out of a movie. Uh, I, I know Winnipeg felt like, you know, basically once again, we're going to Winnipeg this game. And, yeah. uh, you know, we were going to out special team them and then we're going to take this thing at the buzzer. Um, yeah, it, just amazing for Toronto to to have not given up on that. Um, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was huge just before, um, just before the kick when they didn't let them get any closer. I thought that that was really, um, you know, important. Cause like it was, you know, like what was, what was uh, like, it was kick here. 47, 47. right? Like that's, yep. that's right in the block range. You know, that that's not an easy kick. And, um, the, like you said, I thought the knockdown was massive. You know, if he, if he, if he if throws the ball for eight or 10 yards, they keep going and the game's probably over. He probably ends up kicking a gimme. Yeah. Cause you, you have to drill that ball because from 47, we, we dealt with this a few weeks ago. Remember well, when, the Argos... when you're that far back, you, that's when you can get them blocked because, um, you, you, you're not getting it up right away. It's, it's a different tra- trajectory. And I'm going to add something more to that. You remember a few weeks ago when the Argos clinched the East on a rouge, uh, yep. on a one-point win in Montreal, Beattie was trying to blast the ball through the end zone. He had to kick it 61 yards. He missed the field goal, but he had enough leg 
to be able to get it through the end zone. And in a one-point game there, I know Legio is absolutely hit, trying to hit that field goal for the win, but he also knows he's got the wind at his back. Yeah, if given, he can really given, hammer he's it, giving it more juice to get to yeah, definitely get the rouge because he needs the single. He needs the single yeah. at the very least to tie it. And if you're getting more juice on it and you're not Beatty, because Beatty's like went way in the sky and actually cleared the uprights, which is unbelievable. <laughs> like it went over the uprights, but Beatty's not a normal human. Legio kicked it so far. I know, but Legio doesn't have that leg. And so despite his name, and so he has to line drive it. And that's what allowed Smith to to get it because it's not like Smith's like there's some tall guys on this team. Smith is not six, seven. Uh, Robbie Smith is not a guy that you like, like Oakman, where no, you'd expect him. Oakman doesn't get more. But uh, yeah, Smith just uh, just he he beat his block. He got into the backfield, yeah. and man, was it amazing for him to end the game like that! Like what a what a way to end as the hero um, after. Well, I, you know, I don't. I think oof. you can't underestimate the the extra drive, right? Like he's like, I'm not going to let my play be the reason we didn't win this Grey Cup. I mean that that matters. That 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 has an impact on him making that play. Let's get to our players of the game, JB. Uh, offensive player of the game. You started out. Who is your offensive player of the game? <sighs> um, I got to go juggernaut, man. Two touchdowns. AJ Olette. Just beast mode. The whole game. Love his energy. Love his physicality. Love how he never found a cold. Love that he gives the team. Well, you know, he and Harris. But he gives that team, you know, the, gives the offense swagger. You know, that we're not going to be bullied or, and we're not going to be pushed around. Um, and two touchdowns. I mean, look, two, I thought he was, you know, all credit to Mwamba. I, I thought Mwamba could probably get Canadian player of the game and, and, and Olet could get uh, MVP. But, you know, I know he's not the kind of guy who worries about that stuff. But for me, yeah, he was he was the guy. Yeah, it's just, I think it was just simply he didn't probably have enough yardage. Like, he had yeah. the two touchdowns, and he played great. I think they probably looked at the stat sheet, and they're like, well, can we really make the the MVP a guy that had 24 yards rushing? Uh, but it was more than that, obviously, two like scores. what we saw from... Yeah, yeah. Uh, two scores, that's it, right? But I think that's probably it. They looked at that, and they're like, let's let's just go with Enoch. It's, it's a nice story. He's... You know, yeah, there's maybe that anything. might be his last football game. I'm not going to take anything away. Look, full credit, he deserves all his flowers. Yeah, for sure. My offensive player, I'm going to go a little off book here. So, my offensive player of the is game it a is player? it is not a Winnipeg player, um, but I'm going to cheat a little bit. It's Javon Leak, who <laughs> yeah. is technically an offensive player, but we don't do special teams players of the game. Javon Leak absolutely changed this game for the Toronto Argonauts. The Toronto Argonauts all season have been terrible at punt returns. Coming into this game, averaging seven yards of punt return, the worst in the league by a wide oh, margin. I hadn't had noticed that. Yes, I know. Well, we've talked about it on every podcast for the last 100 podcasts. <laughs> and doesn't Javon League show up today with six punt returns for 116 yards, almost 20 yards of return? And and there I, were, look, I bet they you, were big. I bet you they stole from punt, I bet you they stole from punt block time for other things. If I'm the Winnipeg Maybe. coach and I'm like, all right, we got a return game. This guy's not that good. We're good to go here. I'm not saying they did, but I'm not saying they didn't. They showed up today. The Toronto punt return team today, after being terrible for two straight seasons, 
were amazing. Today, amazing. By far. It was, it's not even close. to. No. They haven't had a game anywhere close to this. No. Full, uh, absolute, returns like this. Absolute full credit. And also, uniforms look badass as hell. Love those double blues. That's a bit out of left field. I prefer them with the the Cambridge. No, I'm just pants. handing out compliments. I thought I thought we looked I thought we looked great, and that you know, I think that matters. I thought I thought that uniform combination is the best. Well, it is now. Uh, where are you going, defensive player of the game? Um. Well, um, I have to go. I'm going to go Robbie Smith. Uh, I know that he made a couple of mistakes and he had that stupid call against him, but he had that amazing sack, which was huge, which set up the second sack, which is a tough break that he lost it. But then he blocked the field goal to win the game. So Robbie Smith, uh, you know, um, he's a guy who kind of was in the background for most of the season. And I thought he had a really, you know, he was a frontline player today. So I'm giving him the defensive MVP. Yeah, he was he was pretty unblockable for a lot of the game, and I know, yep. like you said, it was some bad luck with penalties. One that probably shouldn't have happened. One that was just yeah, really unlucky. Yeah, and they hadn't used him a lot in a pure pass rushing mode, um, so they probably didn't have a ton of film on him just hunting. So that was I thought that worked out really well. Yeah, and dressing eight D linemen too with the rotation that they had going on. I I wasn't looking for him. Uh, to to be making plays, there were a lot of guys I was looking to today on defense, thinking they need to step up, and I, I never once thought it would be Robbie Smith that did it. And yeah, full credit to him; he had a he had an amazing game. And he's just he's again his his engine is always on, like he's always full. You see it every game. It's just normally he he doesn't quite get there, and today he did. My defensive player of the game is Jonathan Jones. Uh, led the team in tackles for one. But he did some really nice stuff, not just in not just in run stopping, but uh, he made some really nice plays where balls didn't go his way because he was in tight coverage. He's filling in for Winton McManus, who may have been, as we've discussed uh, many times, the best defensive player in the CFL this season. Those are huge shoes to fill. And he came into this game and played at a Winton McManus type level uh, with, with five tackles and was just all over the field. So he's going to be my defensive Defensive player of the game, you know, and then for oh no, sorry, sorry go on. No, I was just say when you're talking about him coming in from McManus, reminding me of another another thought was, I don't know why in the final they don't wave the 45 man. Um, you know, I feel like it's just so t- in the final you should be able to dress 50. Um, you know, there's just so many guys who are there and they're in the mix. And it's not going to radically change your team. But I just think it's, you know, when you get to a final, you should get that little extra bonus that you don't have to make a decision about guys who are going to dress for the final or not. I, I don't know, like, like structurally why they couldn't do that for the final. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I do think you could do that. And yeah, like on that note, I, I think it was a travesty that Haggerty wasn't dressed for today's game. Josh Haggerty, who is not only an outstanding special teams player, maybe he's maybe he's in there on that on that grant uh, kick or punt return touchdown, because we've seen what uh, an outstanding player he is downfield in that exact scenario. But I think just more sentimentally, he being a kid from Regina growing up just, you know, blocks from where the stadium is and, you know, having so many friends and family there, having, uh, you know, that it would have been amazing for him to be dressed for this Grey Cup. So not only did I feel he earned it, 
I just think that's that would have been such a nice story. In fact, it, it was a story. Like I, I think Mike Hogan wrote about wrote a piece like that on on Argonauts and, and you know, And then you get into these situations, incorrect. right? Where like, okay, we you know we need to have another defensive back who can play some of the different positions, and and guys get squeezed out. You know, he didn't play versus Montreal. Let's just go with the same group that played versus Montreal. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I always feel the same in the NFL. The Super Bowl guys get cut the day of sometimes. I just feel like that stuff should be should be totally waived for the final game. But that's anyways. That's an aside. Go ahead. Agreed, though. All right, let's do our play of the game. So I'll go first. Uh, my play of the game. Again, with all the strange things that happen, this one may not stand out to you, but I thought the tip pass uh, by. Edwards <laughs> near the end of the mine. game. That was going to be your play of the game <laughs> yeah. too. Well, that's no, but that on, that just on. that solidifies I other, it. I have other ones I was considering, but that just solidifies it as the play of the game. It was an amazing play. It's like yeah. second and five. That that's a huge moment. Changes and if if they catch the ball, it's they it's probably for a first down, and they keep going. If they if Edwards doesn't block that pass, Winnipeg wins the Grey Cup. Yeah, agreed. Just, I, I don't. I have no questions about that. Yeah. So to me, that was the play Even of the game. Even if they don't keep going, now it's a 40-yard kick, and it's just a world of difference between 40 and 47. Absolutely. All right, so what's your backup play of the game? Um, I'd have to give it to probably Leak's uh, a big punt return. Yeah, you know, the 44-yarder. Just, just like it, it wasn't a touchdown. It was almost a touchdown, but just like emotionally is like, you know, we can do what you can do. Okay, your guy ran it back. Now our guy ran it back. Uh, I just thought emotionally from the Argos point of view, it had this sense of we're still in this thing. We, you know, we're this, this thing is not over. And um, yeah, it was, re- it was really big. I think just on a, a confidence level um, to, to have that, it felt like one of those felt like a shift. Obviously the Moamba pick is, is obviously huge too, but you know, like again, he, they gave him like five awards on the stage. So, <laughs> You know, hey man, that's awesome, Wamba. But you don't, you know, you don't need, you don't need me pumping your tires. On that, uh, on that return as well. Uh, don't forget how well blocked that was by the Argos. How many times have you seen guys just they're too tempted to get a little yeah, too perfect, physical, perfect, and refs can't wait to block. throw. Perfect edge. Yeah, block. they can't wait to throw flags on that. The guys had their I arms in the air, they had their hand on the flag. <laughs> Always, they, they love, love that. It. They love it. Walk it back, boys. And instead, the guys, you know, you can't throw a flag when the guy's running down the field with his hands in the air the whole time, no. just getting his body in front. No, perfect. That's exactly how they teach it. Yeah. No, it was it was beautifully done. Well, that is just about going to do it for us on this uh, post-game uh, reaction podcast. But before we sign off, uh, just so you know, next week we will be coming to you with our last podcast of the year. And we've got awards to hand out. We've got some reflection to go through. We've got uh, an off-season to look forward to as well. But for now, it's just going to be a celebration for us and hopefully you too as the Toronto Argonauts win the 2022 Grey Cup. 24-23 over the two-time defending champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Go Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the foe, foe, foe. 